What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. This is the Gold Standard Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrero alongside Levin Black. Levin, going to pay $8 a month to get verified? <laughs> um, that's a big old hell no. And uh, up yours, <laughs> Elon Musk. Yeah, I would agree. I would love to hear a single time a billionaire ever took somebody else's idea and made it better. I mean, we're getting off topic right away, but it is what it is. But it ruins the entire point of the check mark, yes. and it ruins. It, it creates it. It's it's no longer a meritocracy, which is what it was before. Like you had to be good, you had to be followed, you had to be actually somebody to get the blue check mark, and it became well, if you have disposable income, you can get a check mark. Okay, like. You're just going from money grab and ruining your platform. In my opinion, Twitter, this is, it's going to be a rapid downfall, in my opinion. Yeah, I would, it's not going to be good. The whole point of the check mark, you're right, is, is it's supposed to be some sort of distingu- distinguishing factor that is not related to whether you have $8 a month to contribute, whatever. It, it's silly, but we'll see if it actually happens when it actually happens. And yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to totally derail us. I just, you know how I like to throw you off in the first 10 seconds. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's annoying. I'm going to have to like actually go get an Instagram now or something because uh, for whatever reason, social media is the type of thing that I begrudgingly made a Twitter account like three years ago. We always say on this show, if you take the time to leave a review, we will take the time to read it. This one comes from John Fine 44, five stars. I'm a new listener, and that instant reaction was everything I had on my mind. Only real fans will call out their team and try to understand what needs to change. No, we aren't the coach, but we can't just let ourselves wipe away the problems as if they don't exist. This team is Super Bowl ready, but right now they aren't playing to that level, and it needs to change, or we go back to watching them just be mad, uh, just be mid, excuse me, for the next however long. Great takes, great show. I'll be listening more often. Niner gang till the wheels fall off, baby. Just hope they don't fall off. Just hope they fall off later and not sooner. Thank you for the five-star review, John Fine. He's a fan of our instant reacts, Levin. Yeah, I like the review. The only thing I would uh, point out is uh, you can be a fan and not criticize the team. You're just a different type of fan. You know, there's a homer or whatever you want to call it, fanboy, whatever you want to call it. That's still being a fan. Uh I wouldn't say it's a bigger fan, even though I think some people mistake that, that if you criticize the team, you must not be as big of a fan because how could you criticize the team? Right. There's just different types of fans. Yeah, I don't like this idea of true fans or real fans. There are only fans. There's different levels of fandom. I think you can be a casual fan or you can be a diehard fan. I think that's a real thing. But the type of coverage you prefer doesn't to me necessarily determine your level of fandom yeah now i draw the line on when you're wanting to uh either be in the media or a content creator or whatever if you're just going to try to spin stuff and create a false image of reality uh, i take issue with that now that i do think is wrong and there are certain people out there that have definitely flipped the script when it comes to that they have suddenly this year decided and it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows and anything they see, they're going to try to spin it and copy David Lombardi uh, <laughs> with Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, they do it because positivity gets much more reaction than mm-hmm. just calling it real. People I like agree. to give a, 
a like and thumbs up to something that's saying something positive about the team they like. You know, that's human nature. And I just want to say, we like being positive more than we like being negative. Like, that's more fun as someone that does this professionally. I would love to be able to come on and say, our quarterback is awesome. Our running backs are awesome. The defense is great. Those are fun shows to do. When the yeah, Niners win. not the Bills. <laughs> right. When the <laughs> Niners win, the instant react shows are fun as hell because we get to talk about how good things went. I would much rather do those shows, but they don't always win and things don't always go well. And, and we have a responsibility, we feel, to be honest with you about that and to talk about that stuff. That's pretty much it. I don't think there's anything to add. Some people uh, will disagree with what we just said. And honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> well, that's why we have a bunch of different hosts on the network. So we like to think of it. I like to think of it as a football buffet, right? If you don't like the chicken, there's fish. If you don't like the fish, there's pasta. If you don't yeah, like some pasta, people are just dessert. Right. Exactly. All the sweet stuff. I'm going to move on before we get into even more trouble. <laughs> uh, on today's show, we are going to kind of take a pause on not not take a pause, but maybe look ahead a little bit because the team's on a bye week. There's not a lot of hard news going on that we can react to. So we thought we'd peek ahead at the rest of the schedule and sort of make some predictions as to what we think will happen. Um, I know that head coaches generally like to take their seasons in terms of quarters or at least they did when there were 16 games so let's do that Levin let's look at the next four games right now for the Niners Chargers at home on NBC that's a Sunday nighter then they go Monday night in Mexico City against the Cardinals then it's Sunday against the Saints back in Levi's and then Raya Sunday against Miami and Mike McDaniel back in Levi's what is an acceptable record for you for those four games uh acceptable uh that's that's a tough one i think a lot of it depends on how they go you know a close hard fought battle it is different than getting blown out by you know say the chiefs just as an example uh i would say three and one i think at two and two if they're sitting at six and six i'm going to be upset mm, interesting i hadn't thought of it in that terms but yeah i do have them going three and one in the next four but at six and six, I just—it's it, hard to spin that you're you're a contender. At six and six, you kind of have to run the table after that the rest of the way. Right. You can get away with winning or losing one more, probably this year, especially. Yeah. Because, but, but that's it. But also, like, it would really help if some teams in the NFC East would lose. Like, suddenly, that's you know, like, we need these teams to lose. I'm I'm rooting for Washington to start beating some teams in their division here because. That's, you know, the records in the NFC East are sort of making the Niners path to the wild card a little more complicated here. I think if I had to pick one of those games, the Niners would lose. Arizona always gives the 49ers problems. And it's not logical to me because I feel like the Niners have better talent across the board. But those games against the Cardinals are always tough, Levin, including when Colt McCoy came and dominated. <laughs> That's the game I have predicted as a loss. I do have them beating the Chargers uh, and then losing in Mexico City, which would uh, not be fun. But like you said, it, the NFC West has this very odd setup where everybody has somebody else's number, where you just can't beat them or you beat them all the time. The 49ers beat the Rams all the time. They cannot beat Arizona 
in recent years, they've been able to get Seattle a little, but they struggled with that in the past. Um, but like, uh, what is it? I think Seattle can't beat the Rams. The Rams always be- beat them. I forget what it is for Seattle. Seattle and, always beats the Niners. <laughs> and then they always beat the Niners. And Arizona can't beat the Seahawks, but beat the Niners. I don't like it. <laughs> it. It's a weird, it's a weird round robin. And it, it's also weird because like, they're pretty well known with each other at this point. Like, right. You know, McVeigh and Shanahan, obviously extremely similar. And Pete Carroll has been up there forever at this point. And Kingsbury, what is this year four? Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess he did get an extension after three years then, but, uh, that extension has some language in it from what I have read, um, that allows them to get out of it without destroying them. As much as it would be fun to win the game against Miami, if I got to pick one for them to lose, it's either that or the Chargers just because it's an AFC game. Like, they can't lose the Cardinals game. You got to win that game because it's in your division. The Saints game is an NFC game, so it does matter. Like, I don't care about the Chargers game or the Dolphins game. So what? Mike McDaniel beats Kyle Shanahan. Yippee. Like, who? that doesn't – who cares, you know? Like – there's no bad blood between those guys. Mike McDaniel left for a chance to become a head coach. Of course, like Kyle Shanahan doesn't like it, but I'm sure he understands. If I had to pick, yeah, it's the Dolphins game because you don't want to lose to the Chargers because now you're back under 500. Like you came off a bye and you lost again. Yeah. Like get the momentum going. You know, they really need to win some games here in a row and get things really rolling. And then you can afford to lose one. But I, I went back and forth on the Dolphins game and I ultimately decided. I do think the Niners win that. And that was solely because Kyle Shanahan has the number of his former assistants. Mm, that's he fair. He can beat the Packers. He can beat the Rams. It seems like he is better at either partially changing up his offense slightly to throw off the opposing team. But I think in those games, if you got the truth, Kyle Shanahan has something to do with the defense. Like he helps prepare the defense for this is what they're going to want to counter with. If you see this, this is happening, things like that. I think he really helps the defense in those. And I, I have seen that sometimes, especially against the Rams, where the defense is on the field and I see Kyle Shanahan talking on the headset. So it's interesting you bring that up because Shanahan, McVeigh, and LaFleur did like an hour long sit down with Adam Schefter on his podcast. And I listened to that and they kind of talked about it. And Kyle said he he talks to the defense a little, but he also doesn't want to get too much in their heads because no matter what the defense says they're going to do, Kyle will say, oh, well, then that means they're going to counter it this way. Like, because there's always a counter for anything that you yeah, do. You can go endless. Right. And that's what his his point was. But the other thing I kind of took away from that conversation was and look, maybe everybody was just being nice. But I kind of took away that LaFleur and McVeigh kind of looked up to Kyle Shanahan a little bit. Like he was sort of the teacher and they were the students a little bit, which is weird because McVeigh has unquestionably been better than Kyle Shanahan. He has two Super Bowl appearances. He never loses pretty much. I mean, in the regular season, his records are fantastic. McVeigh has been a better coach than Kyle Shanahan. But if you just listen to that conversation, it had a very like mentor mentee kind of feel to it. Yeah, it wouldn't be like say put Andy Reid and Bill Belichick in the same room. Right. You don't get that teacher mentor at all. Same as I bet if you got uh, 
uh, Mike Shanahan and Andy Reid in the same room, two guys that know each other quite well from their histories with the 49ers, I don't think that they would have that mentor role at all. You know, it, it is odd, but it's also because that was the role at one point. Shanahan was the boss. Right. And I think Kyle that was the boss. That's still. It's hard that... to shake that. Once somebody's been been your boss, it, it it's hard to shake that relationship, which is why a lot of places like my workplace, they're not going to promote you within the same plant that you have been an operator. You got to go to a different plant because they don't mm-hmm. want you trying to be the boss suddenly of guys you were coworkers with. That's actually a really good strategy. I think it also helps that Kyle literally owns both of those guys. I mean, every time he faces <laughs> that, pretty much he wins. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if you're going to lose one of those games, it's got to be the AFC game. I kind of agree with you. Like, you don't want to drop a game after a bye. Do you know Kyle Shanahan's record after the bye in the uh, in the regular season off the top of your head? I thought it was two and three. Yes, he is two and three after the bye, which doesn't really tell me much. I mean, no, it's a small this, sample. This is this is like last year, though. You know, they went into the bye and back is against the wall. Like they're four and four. Just because they won the last game doesn't mean they can afford to drop one now. I don't think they can go back under five hundred. So last year, remember they lost three in a row going into the bye. And the last game being Trey Lance's first start. Then they had the bye week. Then they had that Colts game. Oh, man. What a letdown after a bye. No wonder I was so mad after yeah, that, that was game. a defensive <laughs> pass interference. A Wentz underthrowing special. Mm-hmm. Just underthrow it. And I'll get the defender to run right into the wide receiver because these guys can't locate a ball to save their life. Yep. And then they beat Chicago barely. I mean, really, that game turned around on that Debo screen pass. And then they lost to Arizona again. So it was really, you know, they went one and two after the bye. It was still pretty rocky. Like, they better do better than that this year. They need to. I mean, <laughs> Seattle's not going away at this point. That's that's the whole problem is, you know, the Rams are down. The Cardinals haven't been the same. Uh, or I guess they've been more of the same. Uh, they haven't improved at all. But Seattle's sitting there in the lead. They're not going away. Geno Smith, the bubble has not burst. So until it does, they're going to be sitting there probably looking at a 10-11 win season. So you've got to get there to match them. All right, well, let's let's move on then because Seattle would be in that next four. Tampa Bay at home in Seattle on Thursday night. That's going to be a massive, massive game. Then home for Washington and then on the road for Las Vegas. Obviously, they need to beat the Seahawks. And I, I got to tell you, Levin, I'm I'm already starting to worry. I already got a little bit of agita because I have seen a team, a Niner team that we think is really, really good, go up to Lumen Field and get their rear ends handed to them multiple times from this head coach. I'm starting to get agita about that game. <laughs> uh, that quarter, I wish we could be playing the Bucks this next week. I wish we could play them this weekend right. before they figure things out because <laughs> they will figure things out. Like Tom Brady's never not figured things out. So I, I wish that game was coming up now. So that game does worry me because I feel it, it's just hard to count Tom Brady out. And you feel like once they figure things out, they're going to go on a run. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe this really is like, well, this is your, you hung on one year too long 
year for Tom Brady, but it, it doesn't seem like it. Like it, a lot of it's their defense is bad. A lot of it is they are passing way too much. I saw that. I think they're dead last in run percentage in the NFL. They just need to be a little more disciplined, but still Tom Brady's, uh, I think second in the league in passing yards. So you can see like, it's not completely broke. They're so close. Right. I think his physical ability is still there. I think more than ever, he's affected by pressure. And I think they've had some injuries along that offensive line that have really opened the door for him to get pressured a lot more often. And so you're seeing that sort of vulnerability be exposed more and more. Now, luckily 49ers have the ability to consistently rush the passer and rush the passer with four. So that, you know, maybe that's a good matchup for them. But let's just say for the sake of argument, let's say they go three and one through that first four game stretch after the bye, right? So then they're seven and five. What do they need to go in the next four? They got to get two of them, which is what I have predicted. They need two of them. doesn't really matter which two. I mean, obviously Seattle is the most preferred because if you win that, you went 2-0 against them, you're almost definitely going to have the uh, division record tiebreaker because you've already beaten the Rams twice. Uh, so that game's obviously the most important. But I really think you just need two of them. And honestly, with the Commanders and the Raiders being in that group and the Bucks, and I mean, until they figure it out, they're not a very good team right now. So really, when you look at those four teams, Seattle's the best team right now. And the Niners dominated Seattle. Now, granted, I think they're better now than they were. I think they've gained a lot of confidence. Geno Smith, like I said, like early on, was it real, was it not? Well, it seems to be more real. They've gained confidence there. But they also had a lot of youngsters on that defense that have really blossomed and come through. So I think Seattle is better than when the Niners played them. But that's the best team in that group of four currently. I really do, like when I watch the Seahawks, I do get a lot of vibes like, 2011 2012 Seahawks where it's like who is this quarterback doing this out of nowhere this defense can make some plays they've got a running back that nobody can tackle it's it really does sort of feel like that now it's a little different because Russ had the ability to just escape sacks left right and center and there are a few plays every game where Geno Smith just gets pasted by by a rusher that either he doesn't see or whatever he literally stands in there and gets hammered um but it is weird watching that it does feel a little bit like deja vu but you're right kenneth walker's for real like he is the difference maker like that guy he's just not he's not quite a unicorn i wouldn't put him there but he's big powerful and yet shifty as hell <laughs> and has a crazy top end speed. He's, you know, he's not Derrick Henry. I don't want to go there. He doesn't have quite Derrick Henry size, but he has that rare combination where he can be anything. You know, he, he's got it all. He's got the elusiveness, the top speed and the power. Yeah. It's very frustrating to watch. <laughs> I've already <laughs> seen a good Seattle running back. I don't really need to see another one. He is 5'10", 210 pounds. So yeah, he definitely doesn't have Derrick Henry size, but he, he appears to be a very good player. You know, Pete Carroll's going to get him some run. So the Tampa Bay game, I mean, the Tampa Bay, like they could be competing for a wild card spot. They could be still competing for their division because their whole division stinks. The entire NFC South is not very good right now. Uh, Atlanta currently leads that division at four and four. Nobody else even has a winning record. The Bucks and Saints are tied at three and five next. So that whole division is terrible. 
But I think two and two, I kind of agree with you. I think if you go three and one for the first four, you can afford to go two and two for the next four. But that would put the Niners then at what? Nine and six going into the final game against Arizona at Levi's. Would you sign for that right now? No, they'd be nine and seven. There's 17 games now. What did I say? Nine and six? Yeah. All right. Nine and seven. I think they can beat Arizona at home in the final week. If you gave me right now, they go six and three to finish the season. I take it. Yeah, but there's also a chance that they stack some wins here and go. There's on also a, a chance they don't. Yeah, that's the volatility, <laughs> right? I know that's why I asked. Would you sign for you? You would take it. I don't. Man. Yeah, I from guess a lot I of would. caveat, I would take it all day, no hesitation. If you promised me Christian McCaffrey would be healthy at playoff time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, just get this team in the playoffs with him, and I'll take it. Yeah, that's you're right. I shouldn't really get fussy. Just get in the dance. That's that's definitely how the Niners feel about things. If you get, yeah, if you get to there, because here's the thing. 10 and 7 gets you in this year. Jimmy is the, is the most volatile aspect of the team. And what Christian McCaffrey does, and this is something that I think it was Dominique Foxworth pointed out on the Mina Kimes podcast. When Christian's in there, you can, and we saw it in the in the game against the Rams. Jimmy can just check it down to him, and he can break a tackle and gain five, six, seven yards and get a first down. So that's one less difficult thing that you are asking Jimmy Garoppolo to do. And if Christian McCaffrey's like only function in this offense at the bare minimum is that he allows you to not have to ask Jimmy Garoppolo to make two, three, four big-time throws in a game, that is massive. That is a huge win for the 49ers because turnovers have been their biggest problem. Yeah, so there's two big, I think, benefits in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo efficiency that comes from that or this offense in general. One is kind of the more obvious. There's less sacks. There's less Jimmy getting happy feet and suddenly getting sacked. Because he stepped the wrong way, which he he seems to do uh, when things start breaking down. Because instead of him doing that, he's just going to dump it off. You know, he doesn't have to panic. You know, he's somebody that never, ever throws it away. So when there's a broken play and he can't find something, he does one of two things. And those are the two things that are taken away. The first one, like I said, taking a sack. The second one is throwing late over the middle when he panics. (laughs) Doesn't need to do that. So that means you're going to have a lot less in my opinion turnover worthy plays because he's not going to be throwing late over the middle because he's panicking and that alone is a huge benefit you know if you can take away just one turnover worthy play from jimmy garoppolo a game that's a massive swing because you know turnover worthy play doesn't mean it, it was a turnover it just means it should have been and in reality it's probably what only half the time that it ends up actually being a turnover just like you know, he had, he had one against the Rams. Wasn't a turnover. They dropped it. And it made a huge, huge difference in the game. Rams actually dropped a couple of passes. That uh, that Higby drop on third down was yeah. just an absolute game changer. Um, and especially with Elijah Mitchell coming back, too. I really feel like there's a much better chance that Christian McCaffrey is healthy or can stay healthy because you take Christian McCaffrey out for a few downs, let him catch his breath, whatever. There's no, I mean, there's a drop off because Mitchell's a different kind of player, but I mean, we're also talking about a guy who 
had one of the most productive rushing seasons that a 49ers rookie running back has ever had. And if he's your number two guy, that's a great place to be. Yeah, I mean, you you can spread the offense out by having them both on the field. You know, you have McCaffrey on the field, but he's spread out wide. You know, you got all kinds of tricks that are possible there because he's spread out wide, whether he motions back into the backfield, whatever. But because he's in the field and he's spread out wide with, I'm assuming, Debo and Ayuk and Kittle also on the field, that defense has to spread out, and that opens up the possibility of a run more up the middle for Eli Mitchell. So it makes things easier for him if you want to have a play where they're both on the field. I wouldn't see that being all that often because he is the guy that's supposed to be giving McCaffrey a breather. But that's also one reason why win some games coming off the bye. Give yourself a little breathing room so you don't have to run McCaffrey into the ground in desperation of trying to get every last win you possibly can because your back is against the wall. Yeah, McCaffrey actually had a rush or a target on 27 of his 42 offensive snaps against the Rams. That was a little over 64%. That is the second highest rate for a game in his entire career. So they are using Christian McCaffrey and not just Christian McCaffrey's in the game, but he's actually a focal point of the play. Hopefully they can ease that back a little bit to, to sort of save him. Yeah, Part of that is Debo is out probably too. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I, that goes into the next thing I want to talk about because I do think that the 49ers, maybe I think that their plan is like, look, we're, we for whatever reason right now, we cannot defeat this injury bug. Great. It'd be awesome to have Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and McCaffrey and Mitchell and Juice and all those guys together at the same time. Yes, of course, we would sign for that. But I almost feel like their strategy now is we're just going to get so many guys that even if one or two of them isn't there, our offense can still be really, really good, like we saw against the Rams last week when Debo isn't there and they still put up 31 points without a defensive touchdown. Yeah, it's kind of like the inverse of when you have a truly elite quarterback. Well, if guys go down in the skill positions, the quarterback will figure it out. You know, we've seen it with Mahomes and Rodgers and stuff like that over the years. This is the inverse. Well, we don't have a truly elite quarterback, so we're going to get as many offensive crazy weapons as we possibly can around him so that if some of those skill position guys go down, we still have enough to where this quarterback doesn't destroy us. I kind of get it. I kind of get the strategy from the Niners. Like it was a must move, especially with the Rams in the fold. Like just keeping him off the Rams is a massive win. You know, that, that alone I think is giving up worth giving up a third round pick. You know, that that's, that's huge. If that, that's the difference in that game. If McCaffrey was on the Rams for that game, the Rams win the game. I mean, you would look at the 49ers offense and be like, what the hell were they going to do? <laughs> but uh, I like the McCaffrey, like, I should rephrase. I have been on the record saying I wouldn't have made this deal. But now that it's made and I saw Christian McCaffrey, I have to admit I do feel a little bit better about it. Um and I like the fact that it's not just like a rental thing, right? Like McCaffrey is going to be in the plans for the next, I would probably say two to three years here, whether that's another year with Jimmy next year, whether that's with Trey, whatever the case may be, he's whatever he's providing to the offense right now, he's going to provide it beyond this season. Yeah. And I, I do wonder if they truly just roll with that contract next year or if they do something. You know, if he's a big thing for this offense, like he was last week, 
throughout the rest of the season, I could see them adding, you know, giving it a little bit of an extension so that they can manipulate it to where he gets a big signing bonus and it's spread out over more years and his cap number next year goes down and they basically play the game of, okay, we got like a, we feel like a four or five year window. Uh, when we get towards the end of this contract, it, it's going to become unsustainable. But at that point, you'll be 30 years old. We'll get out of it. But also at that point, this kind of window is going to be closing down. And the only way it stays open is if Trey Lance has emerged as the truly elite quarterback where you can rebuild on the fly and <laughs> still be winning games. Right. If Trey Lance has emerged, it's not as important. And if he hasn't, then it's time to rebuild. So uh, the other thing Mina Kimes said on her podcast is that this is the closest thing that she can think of in the NFL to positionless football. And I actually think that she's wrong or she's not 100% right because 100% right would be with Trey Lance next year because then you truly do have multiple threats at every single spot. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a threat to run, which if Trey comes back next year, he does provide that. That would truly be you have to account for everybody on the field that's not an offensive lineman. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. We'll see what happens next year roster-wise. Yeah, you never know what surprises come in the offseason. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We literally—is <laughs> there anything that could happen where you would be shocked at this point? I would say the one thing that would shock me next offseason, and I think at least has the smallest amount of being possible, is they try to talk to Ayuk about an extension, and Ayuk says, "I'm on top of the market. I'm not budging," and it becomes pretty much they know we got to give him like 27, 28 million, and there's no way we can do that. We're going to get our value now. And they're going to trade him. That Yeah, and that would be like the true shocker offensively where I would be like, oh, my God, they really did this. And I'd be I would be pissed. I would imagine Trey Lance will be mad. I mean, that's the guy he's closest to. Yeah. But I could also see that happening. Like, Ayuk's having a pretty good season. I could see him coming. You know, they try to get him before he has a, a massive, true, huge year where he has leverage because his contract's coming to an end, things like that. And they try to get him, you know, more at like, 16 17 18 million a year and he goes no it, it i'm beating Debo's number or, or i'm not signing and at that point they say well we can get a first round pick for you so we're moving on and that's the thing you would be able to replenish some of the draft capital that you've spent recently and i think that's a real thing but i would that wouldn't shock me because of like all the reasons you just laid out like it's logical that Debo would want as much money as he could get as fast as he could get it and it's logical the niners would say we cannot do this we can't pay Kittle top of the market and Debo top of the market and you top of the market and McCaffrey top of the market and Bosa top of the market because his top of the market is going to be quarterback money pretty much or I guess old quarterback money because now it's even higher. But that wouldn't stun me like even a Trey Lance trade would not stun me at this point. I don't think there is anything that they could do where I would be flabbergasted anymore. Uh, I don't know what that says about you, but unless they traded Bosa. <laughs> That would be it. Yeah, that one's not happening. Right. That'd uh, be the only <laughs> thing. Other than that. No, like, I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if Trey Lance was traded. Because it, it's, even if you don't believe in him, there's no way you're recouping enough value to make it worth it. But you can never recoup enough value. Right, which is why you just hope he'd spend, he pans out. There's been a lot of talk about that because the Dolphins made the move for Bradley Chubb. And so people are trying to say, look what they did with those three number ones from Lance and how much better would the 49ers be? And like, yeah, okay. But, you know, part of the value that draft picks provide, they can either 
be used to acquire cheap labor from college football, like the standard just drafting somebody, or they can be used to acquire proven players. You can do either one. Now, the 49ers just happen to use theirs to draft somebody, but it's the same It's the same thing. And if Trey Lance pans out, by the way, it still doesn't matter. Even though the Dolphins did all that stuff, it'd still be worth it for the 49ers. Speaking of the Dolphins, uh, if Trey Lance were to be traded, like the only way I could see it happening is potentially the Dolphins. Because what if Mike McDaniels was the guy that was like highest on Trey Lance? Mm-hmm. And, you know, while things are going well now, there's always the possibility Tua falls off, Tua gets another injury, Tua gets into the playoffs and gets exposed. And Mike McDaniel, if he was the highest guy on Trey Lance and thinks he's truly like the next great quarterback, you could see him going to the brass and saying, I want to move on from Tua, reutilize that draft capital along with a little bit more to get Trey Lance, who I think is, you know, whatever. That would be that would be crazy. (laughs) I don't see it happening. I'm not saying I think that's actually this and the reality of the situation. Yeah. But if Trey Lance were to be traded, the only way I can see somebody offering enough for them to pull the trigger would be something like that, where Mike McDaniel was the high guy on him at draft time and wants him. So I feel like the way you could sell that to the fans is you got to win the Super Bowl this year, right? You win the Super Bowl this year. You bring Jimmy Garoppolo back and you move on from Trey and you say, look, we drafted Trey because we thought that's what we needed to do to win a Super Bowl. Well, we just won a Super Bowl and Jimmy is a far more proven commodity at this point than Trey Lance. We can get the draft capital back. Now, again, I don't think any of this is going to happen, but I mean, there is a world where it could. And this 49er team, it's never boring. So you almost have to count on something crazy going down. Let me ask you this. Would you sign up for that right now? Yeah. Yep. Because you, you tell me the they Super win Bowl. the Super Bowl. I'm signing yeah. up for it. I don't yeah. care what the parameters are. Right. I, I don't care anything you say after you say, hey, you win the Super Bowl this year and I'll cut you off and say, I take it. I'm good. Whatever it is. <laughs> like Kramer in the Seinfeld episode. We're prepared to offer you all the free coffee you want at any of our stores throughout North America and Europe. Plus, I'll take it. The, the and but would be, and you're going to have five straight losing seasons now. I don't care. I got a Super I'd Bowl. I'll take it. Yeah, no, yeah, I would it, take it. it. It's only been 28 years since we had one. So, yeah, I'm taking <laughs> it. <laughs> you think the Rams care right now that they're struggling? If you told the Rams they were going to lose every game the rest of the way, you think they would give the Super Bowl back? Hell no. Yeah, no. Hey, you could be competing this year if you give up that Super Bowl in retrospect. No. And I think that, you know, a lot of people think that we're Trey Lance guys or anti-Jimmy guys. And... I don't want to speak for you, but what I've always said is I just want good quarterback play. I don't care where it comes from. If it comes from Jimmy, great. If it comes from Trey, great. I just don't think it's going to come from Jimmy. So that's why I'm an anti-Jimmy guy. But again, I'm not out there hoping that Garoppolo fails. I'm rooting for him to do well. When he threw that touchdown to, to Christian McCaffrey last week, I was running around like a nut. I am firmly in the Super Bowl or bust mode of being an imaginary GM once you know it is unless you get some kind of unicorn or horseshoe up your butt you're not winning a Super Bowl because the quarterback's just not good enough when it comes down to it in crunch time against good defenses like you face in the playoffs it's time to move on I don't care if you're a 13 win 
team every single year. Just like now, I don't know how many people are going to get this reference because it's kind of specific to me as a fan, but you know, the Chargers back in the early 2000s fired Marty Schonheimer be- yep. even though they were, they were 10-plus wins every single year because they couldn't win in the playoffs. And that was when they had, you know, Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees, LaDainian Tomlinson, like it was a stacked team. But it became clear that even though they're winning a lot of games every single year, the coach wasn't good enough to win in the playoffs. It wasn't he, he was winning because of the talent that was there. Quarterback is the same thing to me. Nobody's 20 years later now is looking back and going, the Chargers made a huge mistake firing Marty Schoenheimer. They never won the Super Bowl. No, it was the right choice because everybody knew they're not going to win the Super Bowl as long as he's there. You know what Marty Schottenheimer's record was his last year with the Chargers, which was really his last year coaching? I think it was 13 and three, or was it 14 and two? It was 14 and two. (laughs) That is wild to me. Yeah. Got fired after a 14 and two season. They went 14 and two and they lost to the Patriots in the divisional round 24 21. Was that the game where the guy from the Patriots? had the game-winning, or the guy from the Chargers had the game-winning interception in his hands and then fumbled on the interception return, and the Patriots got it back. Is that that game? I'm pretty darn sure it is because that's the only AFC championship game they made it to. No, this wasn't an AFC championship. It was divisional. Oh, right, right. They made an AFC championship a couple years later with Rivers. I remember watching that because there was a year after that, I forget what it was, where I think that same thing kind of happened, and I remember thinking like, just go down because they're going to go for the strip. Yeah. That's when I was hate watching the Patriots. All right. Since we're on the sidetrack, it is still like it's the one I bring up. It was all, that game. whenever I see, you know, victory formation and people say game's over. If it's still a one position or one score game, I say, no, it's not. Why? Because the Chargers were literally up, went into victory formation. Phillip Rivers fumbled the snap and then they lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call it. Chargers are going to charge her. You know, that's why that's a thing. They literally lost while going into victory formation. Uh, That was Marlon McCree intercepted Tom Brady. Troy Brown forced a fumble. There were six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, and it was 21-13 Chargers at that point. And now we've been on a five-minute Chargers sidetrack from 15 to 20 years ago history. You guys are welcome, you know, Niner fans. (laughs) It's the bye week. You know, broaden your horizons. I don't know how we got here. I, yeah, I mean, it, it's on topic. What am I talking about? We play the Chargers next. Yeah, there totally you go. Totally within the realm of what we should be talking They're about. They're still charging, though. Like, <laughs> that's the do. weird it's, thing. It's amazing. That playoff game was 2007, January 2007. It's 2022 now, and they are still kind of doing those things. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little worried about the defense going up against Justin Herbert, but. He's also like hasn't sort of been the same Justin Herbert this year. So I, I think I, the Niners will be favored in that. The Niners will probably be favored in every almost game. every game they play, except for maybe that Seattle game. Mm-hmm. Seattle would have to keep winning. I, I think they would be favored just because they, you know, destroyed them in the first game. Well, that's true. But it's Seattle is at home this time. So yeah, that's worth three points right there. So. You don't need to be able to communicate to check down the Christian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is like Jimmy's used to that environment up in Seattle. And I don't know without Russ, I, 
I could be wrong, but maybe I feel like it's less intimidating. But you're right. Gino's been good. He's been good, but I, I think it's a different animal when you face a truly dominant defense. And hopefully the second half that we saw against the Rams means the defense is back. Kyle Posey had an amazing tweet about that defense in the Rams game. And he said the Rams had nine plays against the Niners where they needed three or fewer yards to gain either a first down or a touchdown. On one play, they gained 23 yards. On the eight other plays, they gained combined 12 yards. That is D'Amico Ryans in his bag. The defense showed up, you know, first time in two games. But like I said, Gotta hope that that means the defense is back because that's what drives this team. How much Armstead and or Kinlaw do you think we'll see the rest of the way? I think we'll see Armstead probably the most of the rest of the way. I think he comes back after the bye. Kinlaw, uh, I think he's done. Yep, I think he's done too. The fact uh, he, he hasn't come back and there's been no news, nothing's been said, tells me he's not coming back. They're holding out hope against hope, but probably needs another surgery. And nobody is reporting it because it's bad news. And, you know, people, the people that know are not coming forward because it's going to piss off the team. I mean, Mayoko literally has an article that came out yesterday for NBC Sports Bay Area with quotes from Javon Kinlaw talking about, like, he literally says, I'll just read the quote. I'm trying to do whatever I can to be back out there and have some fun with those guys. It looks like they're having fun at a level I haven't even been a part of yet. Look, this was the year he was supposed to be fixed, right? He had the surgery last year so that he would clear all that stuff up and be able to come back this year and contribute. And, you know, some guys' careers just get derailed by injury. So he's, I think more and more, it just looks like he's just going to be one of those guys. When you're as big as Javon Kinlaw is and you have knee problems, That is not something that generally gets better over time. Especially at his size. Like, his size puts a lot of strain on the knee. Yeah, it it sucks. I think he could have been a really, really good player. But it it just, at this point, he has all the signs of a knee that is never going to allow him to truly play. If he uh, gets ruled out for a season, you think uh, Grant starts chirping again? Oh, man. I don't know. But the the rumor (laughs) that I was hearing before the trade deadline was that the Niners were desperately trying to get a defensive tackle, that they were calling Washington for Deron Payne, that they were, which just tells you they know. Yeah, they know. They know he ain't coming back and they don't have any faith that he's going to be there. And and the, the sad thing about Armstead is he could be feeling great and ready to go and then play three snaps and that could flare up on him again and he could be out for that's just the nature of that injury. So I think the Niners know defensive tackles a need for them after the year. Yep. That would be definitely very high. I would say probably on the draft board because I don't see them being able to spend the money in free agency. They hit it with, well, I guess that this regime didn't draft Buckner, but we've seen the 49ers draft a good defensive tackle before, maybe hopefully. I mean, this regime loves to draft Defensive uh, defensive linemen with their top pick, so... Yeah, could add Patrick Mahomes. He took Solomon Thomas. Mm, that's they never going to not three times. Yeah, three times they've taken a defensive lineman with the first pick the team owns. Feel free to mix it up, boys. That's all I'm saying. 
Uh, last thing, Levin, I believe by the time people hear this, the $1.2 billion Powerball jackpot will have been decided. Did you buy a ticket? Uh, I did. and uh, You did? Yeah. Why not? You're a lottery guy? Not really, no. Yeah, I'll go spend $10 every so often. Like wow, not even, all right. Probably not even one, probably like six times a year. I'll, eh, whatever. And throw $10 at it. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, we should say this is potentially my last ever episode. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do well, with no, that No, I shouldn't money. say that. Because if I win $1.2 billion, I might just throw enough money at Vox Media to get some kind of ownership stake and become your boss. Oh man. Well then it would be my last day. That's <laughs> be nation. Uh, I'll give you $2 million to put me in charge of Niners nation podcast. <laughs> Let me just tell you, they would do that before you, you just Don't say, need a salary. You, just <laughs> if you just said, I'll give you 2 million, they'd be like, yep, whatever you want. <laughs> what would you do with that money? First thing. Uh, first thing. All my siblings and my parents and well, I guess my in-laws, <laughs> I would probably call and say, hey, uh, you can quit your job tomorrow. Go like ahead. Everybody becomes a millionaire that you know, right? Pretty much, yeah. So you, you want to break it down? Why not? It's the bye week. Uh, this is stupid stuff that my brain computes because <laughs> no. it finds it fun for no reason when I'm sitting around bored. Uh, what you do is you get there's two ways to go about it the annuity everybody makes a joke of once you get to a high enough level it's actually a pretty darn good option like the annuity on one on the one billion i looked it up uh for the previous jackpot of one billion it starts out at 10 million first year and goes all the way for 30 years until you get in like 30 it was like 35 million in the final year so you're like guaranteed to never go broke and it's enough money to go uh, here's 500,000 this year, you know, so all your family members every year get like 500,000. So they don't have to work, you know, but if you don't do that and you take the lump sum, all you have to do out of 1.2 billion, which in reality, it's only like 700 million in cash only, only, only. spend 200 million, whatever the heck you want, buying houses, you know, for family members, whatever you want, 200 million, take 500 million. Throw it in a savings account. You can, when you have enough money, you get high, higher yields, higher interest rates. You can get 4%, no problem. 4% off of 500 million, that's 20 million a year. <laughs> that's so insane. So that's all you do. You just, if you get enough money, you throw it in the bank that gives you interest and you live off that interest. So you still have this lump sum of 500 million that never gets touched, but every year you get enough interest off of it. You don't have to do anything. I've actually thought about it. I think what I would do, and again, like you're you're coming out with like the logical, smart thing. <laughs> I just think it would be really cool to tell no one that you win, right? Then you call all your friends and all your family over to your house. And you you just, all you tell them is, I got something really important to talk to you about. I really need you to come to the house. We'll, we'll, we'll cook dinner. We'll make food, whatever. Just come to the house. I need to talk to you. Then you get everybody in the room and you just look around and you just say, you're all millionaires. I hit the jackpot. I'm a billionaire. I'm giving all of you in this room a million dollars. I just think that would be the coolest thing ever. And you have to spend the next like 10 minutes convincing them that you weren't full of it. Right. But once it hit, 
That would be the coolest day ever. That would be cool, but that is spoken like a guy who's always lived in Connecticut, and those people can get there the same day. My family's spread out over a very wide berth. If I did that, one, getting all of them to agree to come without saying do it because you won't have to work again. You know, you can go ahead and not worry about that job that you're going to have to call in last minute and say, hey, I'm not showing up. Um, one would be difficult. All right. But get even, them on even a if Zoom I call, them, then you jerk. It wouldn't be instantly that very next day. So that means, you know, if my brother did that to me, I would show up and go, you mean I just worked yesterday for no reason? You had already won? <laughs> you could do a zoom call 11 would that be easier does that fulfill sure. the requirements better Not everybody lives in a state where you can hear the uh everybody in the state through the walls because they're so close sorry well I, this is where i live what do you want from me it would work for me what can i tell you yeah uh i, I don't disagree that that would be cool but it would it would not be what i would do well you're no fun. I would just call them and say, hey, uh, quit in whatever manner, however disrespectful or respectful you want tomorrow. Now, that would that would be good. And then you're like, but you have to tell me the story in order to get the money. Yeah. You got to write. That would be pretty cool. I could sign for it. That's not a bad thing. Would you give any, if you won $1.2 billion, would I be getting any? No. Under no circumstance. But I would continue to do this job. So you'd still get that money. See, see, I am different. If I win that amount of money, every coworker I got, whether on this podcast or my daytime job, eh, here's a million. Do whatever you'd you give want Michelle it. a million dollars. Yeah. So I am not somebody that could ever go through seven hundred million. Like I said, I'm gonna throw a bunch in the bank and live off the interest. So I'm never gonna touch that large initial capital. Two hundred million. I need probably in the wildest dreams where I had no limit, I probably need like 15 million to be fully set up with everything I want. So I got another 185 million in this scenario where I get 700 cash to do whatever the heck I want with in terms of giving it to family members and other people. I can give 20, 30 people that are coworkers a million dollars and still have 150 million to deal with family. I wouldn't give you a cent. Well, you, you might not live long to enjoy that money. <laughs> all right. Well, that sort of ended on a dark note, but nonetheless. All right. That's going to do it for this show because apparently it could be our last show. Please rate, review, and follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network. If you have a cool idea for what you would do if you won that money, leave it in your review. I'd love to hear it. We will leave it on the show. Plus, we're still taking names for Jason and Steph's show on Tuesdays. So if you have a good name idea, drop that in there as well. They've thrown out some things. We're circling something, but I'm not totally in love with it. So if you got a good name, throw it in there. And uh, if we pick your name, I'll, I'll see if I can get homage to send you uh, some cool Niners gear. And no, Levin, you can't submit a name. Well, fine. I won't text you anymore. <laughs> How about that? Promises, promises. You'll just have to wonder if I'm going to show up to record. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, everybody. <laughs>